This podcast was made possible by a sponsorship from Avexis, a clinical stage gene therapy company. The following content was not developed by Avexis. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast, episode 34. I am your host, Kevin Schaefer, and I am here with... Michael Morelli. Michael, how are you doing today? Doing great, Kevin. How are you? Doing great. Excited to be here. We are here for the latest roundtable discussion talking about all of the latest news and perspectives from the SMA community from the month of May 2019. Before we get started, please listen to this brief word from our sponsors. Are you interested in understanding gene therapy? ExploreGeneTherapy.com has helpful information about gene therapy, including its history and how it is being investigated for the treatment of genetic diseases. Visit www.ExploreGeneTherapy.com. All right. Well, let's start with the news, Michael. So recently, several of our reporters went to the 2019 American Academy of Neurology, or AAN, annual meeting, uh, which took place in Philadelphia. So one of the stories that came out of this conference was about people with SMA type 2 who had been treated with Solgenzma, or previously known as AVXS101. It's a drug we've been discussing for quite some time here on the podcast and on our main site. Michael, could you give us a breakdown of this story? Yeah, I'll be more than happy to. This was a really interesting article, and I want to start out with two quotes from the article itself, and then I can go into a little bit more, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit more explanation. The first one says, type 2 patients with spinal muscular atrophy given the gene therapy Zolgensma via spinal canal injections are showing no safety concerns so far and notable motor milestones. These were early results from a phase one trial. Based on these interim but promising data, Avexis anticipates a request being made for the therapy's approval using intrathecal or IT or spinal cord injection necessary for older SMA patients. In a press release, the company said that it, being Novartis, which is uh, part, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Avexis is part of the Novartis company. They will be approaching regulators for guidance regarding this issue. So, you know, there's always been a question as to whether or not Zolgensma was going to be available for those of us that are older with SMA types two and three. And I stated in one of my podcasts that I did about a week ago that I didn't think that Avexis would handcuff themselves to you know, limit their therapy or their, their potential therapy once it's approved to just infants. So uh, I knew that they were in clinical trials testing the IT delivery, but this is just proof that uh, not only are they in clinical trials, but they're probably going to ask the FDA for approval to include this on the label itself. And if they do this, then Zolgensma is going to be open to a wider uh, number of people immediately, uh, not just infants, but you're looking at type 2 children up to a certain age. Right now, they're saying uh, in type 2 patients up to five years old who are able to sit uh, but not stand or walk independently, and the ones that they've been testing so far all have three copies of the SMN2 gene, which makes a shorter and less effective SMN protein. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really good information coming out that Solgensma is going to be available to a broader category of, of, of individuals, not just infants. So it's a lot of exciting news. 
Oh, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, you know, up until this point, it's been really just speculation on our uh, on our end as far as you know, will the drug be available beyond infants with type one? And so it's good to see some very concrete evidence that um, there are plans for that. Um, so, Michael, as a follow up to that, for those of us who are adults with types two and three, now that we know that Avexis and Novartis have plans to make this drug accessible, this drug accessible to us, actually, what questions do you think we should be asking our doctors in regards to Zolgensma? You know, Kevin, there are a lot of questions that we can ask, but whether or not our doctors will be able to answer it is a whole nother story. They may know something about Zolgensma, and then they may not, and they may only be limited as to the amount of information that they can give until Zolgensma is passed by the FDA as an actual treatment. But one of the things that I would recommend is that if you're interested in Zolgensma, that you contact your doctor and let them know about it. Let them know that you're interested in finding out more information. Tell them if you're on active treatment with uh, Spinraza. Ask them if you're going to be able to take Zolgensma in uh, combination with your Spinraza. And then uh, you can make a decision with your doctor at that time as to whether or not you want to continue with Spinraza or make the jump over to Zolgensma. You know, right now it's only going to be available to infants nine months of age or younger. But if they broaden the label out and make it available to people that are older with SMA type 2, then this conversation is going to have to be discussed between the patient and the doctor. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered between now and then. And I think these answers are going to have to come relatively soon, given the fact that the FDA, uh, given the fact that the FDA is going to uh, probably approve Zolgensma here in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And, um, you know, even if it's just getting the conversation started, because um, even I know my neurologist has said in the past that um, it's possible that you could have um, be treated with Spinraza and Zolgensma at the same time, and it may very well be effective. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely good to just get those conversations going, start asking questions, and you never know what can happen. But, um, yes, by the time this podcast goes up, we'll probably be it will be even closer to um, the FDA approval of Zolgensma, it looks like. So we will be keeping everyone updated. Um, so follow us on our main site. Um, and so on that note, um, our second news story also comes from this, from the AAN conference. Uh, another drug, which is called, I'm probably going to butcher this, the pronunciation here, but it, I'm going to say Ristiplum. Is that, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's actually pronounced Rizdaplam. Rizdaplam, got it. Okay, um, I've I've seen it before, and I yeah, I should have checked before we started recording. But uh, but anyway, uh, Rizdaplam was developed by Roche and Genentech in collaboration with PTC Therapeutics and the SMA Foundation, and it's being studied as a therapy for individuals with SMA types two and three. Michael, can you give us a breakdown of this story as well? Yeah, really what this story involved was just, you know, basically what Rizdaplam is, how it works. It is an oral treatment at this time, uh, which is really nice. It, it actually, treatment can be uh, reconstituted. That's what they're saying, meaning that it's in a powder form. And what they do is they take this powder and mix it with a liquid, which you know, would potentially make it much easier for patients to take. 
versus an injection. It would be something that you can drink. Okay. Um, and then if it's, if the person doesn't have the ability to swallow, okay, then they have other ways that they can administer the, this, this treatment. Okay. They can go directly into a gastric tube that goes into your stomach or there are other methods. So I think one of the really fascinating things about this is that it is an oral treatment. And if you think about what we as patients that are taking Spinraza are going through, whether you're getting an intrathecal injection in your back, your neck, or your side, you know, there's, there's a lot of risk involved in this procedure. And plus it's, it's pretty expensive because you have to go into a surgical type setting. Uh, they have to, it's, it's basically a sterile room. So, you know, there's a cost associated with that. So I think one of the, the funny things is, and I'm going to give you my opinion, and wouldn't it be nice to someday have an oral treatment that they can give us for our disease? You know, I guess maybe someday there might actually be a magical potion that we can drink. So I think it, it's got a lot of good benefits to it. And, and the article was, was uh, very detailed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a really compelling concept for sure. Um, you know, I mean, speaking from my own experiences, like you said, with Spinraza, it is a very um, not only time consuming process, but um, but it requires a lot of energy and commitment as well. And, you know, I mean, while it's been very beneficial for me, it's something I was very skeptical about going in back in you know November 2017 when I started my injections. I was very nervous about you know, the potential side effects and all of that. And um, I've been fortunate to not have to deal with any of those. And I've had very smooth procedures. But nonetheless, a liquid, you know, treatment is very appealing. Um, so we'll be sure to um, keep everyone updated on this story as well. Um, and Michael, I just wanted to ask as a final question on this section. So with all of the drugs being developed by different pharma pharmaceutical companies to treat SMA, um, in this day and age that we're living in, what effect do you think this has on both the FDA approval process and on the willingness of insurance companies to cover the costs? You know, that, that's an interesting question just because whenever Biogen developed Spinraza, there was a big controversy as to the cost. And, you know, it took insurance companies a long time to come around and agree to pay for it. There was a long waiting process. You know, people were rejected on their insurance. They had to wait. You know, there was just a long, drawn-out procedure. As as more therapies become uh, available to us, and I think you're you're going to see quite a few more therapies becoming available in the next year or two. They're becoming more aware of what the problem is, and I think they'll be more agreeable to actually pay for it. I know that I was on Biogen's free drug program for nearly two years. And I got a note in the mail the other day from my insurance company that they finally approved my Spinraza treatments. So, uh, you know, whether you have Medicare, Medicaid, I think uh, a lot of these insurance companies are coming around seeing that, you know, that these treatments are definitely helping. So I think they'll be less, less prone to deny somebody, you know. So I know Zolgensma is going to be a little bit uh, expensive uh, considering that it's basically a one-time therapy, or at least it is for the infants. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, what comes around with regards to that treatment, whether it's going to be a one shot and you're done. So 
And I think insurance companies are, are definitely going to come around and start paying for these. And I, I guess with more data that's available uh, regarding the different treatments now, I think that's definitely helping. Absolutely. And yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how all this develops. Um, and time will tell. But um, so that's all for news today. Michael, thank you for sharing. Um, now, switching gears, let's talk a little bit about some of our recent forum posts and our columns. Um, all, by the way, all of these, for our listeners out there, all of these links will be provided um, in the description and also on the forum post um, for this podcast. So you can find them there. But um, the first uh, forum topic I wanted to talk about is one that I wrote recently. It, I posted it in the Assistive Technology Forum on May 10th. Um, so uh, basically, I, I, I told Michael about this um, a little bit, but uh, a week ago, a week from the time of recording this, uh, my parents and I were in Kentucky for um, just kind of a short getaway, and it turned into an entire fiasco. But um, I'm not going to talk about that right now. You can actually read my column for more on that. But um, while I was there... I tested out a new uh, shower chair. Um, so the one I have at home is just a kind of a standard bathroom seat. I'm sure it's similar to one you use, Michael. But um, recently they came out with this thing called the wheelable shower chair. And, you know, again, you can see this in the link and um, see an image of it. But it's basically a smaller and a more portable version of the bathroom seats that we're kind of used to. And it was really interesting to use. I thought it was um, it's. Instead of like, Michael, do you have a bathroom seat where when you're traveling, you have to take it apart and put it back together? No, I don't travel, but my shower chair uh, looks like a commode chair on wheels. Okay, yeah, but does it like require, does it, can it fold up or does it have to be kind of taken apart and put back together when no, it, it can't be folded up? It's, okay, gotcha. it, okay. it's all one piece or it's all, okay, you know, so. welded together. Right, right. So that's the one I used for this, and because the one I have at home, it, um, I mean, it's it's nice and it's much more comfortable, but it does have you have to take it apart and put it back together when we're traveling. So uh, I'm starting to use this one for traveling, and that's really what I was the main appeal of it is that it is so easy to fold up and um, and transport. Um, so it's a little less comfortable than the one I have at home. It's you know because it is smaller and. The armrests don't go up that high, um, and I kind of had to put some pillows um, next to me when I was using it, especially when I was in the bathroom um, at, on the trip. But overall, I would really recommend it um, for, especially for traveling. Um, like I said, I and I like the the other feature I really like about it. It's much easier to roll because, like the one I have at home, um, you know, you can of course roll it across the room, but often the wheels get stuck or it's not as uh, transportable with this one it rolls really easily it's lightweight it's um easy to maneuver so um yeah i don't know i really enjoyed using it michael have you seen um a picture of this uh of the wheelable shower chair yeah i'm sitting here looking at it right now what do you think it does it how does it compare to the one you have at home uh it's a lot better looking than the one that i've got okay the one that i look like looks like the cat drug in from the yard um <laughs> This one looks nice. I like that it's got the sh the uh, the uh, commode seat, so you can use it for dual purposes. You exactly. can use it if you need to go to the bathroom, or you can use it in the shower. Right. And uh, the cost is a little bit high, but 
you know, if you were to price the shower chair that I'm sitting in now, it's probably about the same or even less. Right, right. And that's the thing, you know, I mean, we're just kind of used to expensive equipment like this. And, um, and like I said, I would talk to your insurance provider. If you're interested in getting one of these, they may be able to cover it at least partially. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, it's just one of the things I would recommend. Um, like I said, does that it's not as comfortable as the one I have at home. And it's um, one I'm only going to use for travel. But, um, but it is convenient for that purpose. So Oh, absolutely. Uh, definitely. So wanted to share that. And then um, next, I just have a couple columns I wanted to look at um, that were posted recently on our main website at smanewstoday.com. Uh, the first one is from Kayla Godin, who um, her column, Welcome to the Mermaid Chronicles, is published every Tuesday. And in this post, Kayla wrote about her experience with, experiences with chronic migraines and how she eventually resorted to treating them with medical marijuana. So let me read just an excerpt from this column. Uh, she says, at about 18, that's age 18, regular pain meds like ibuprofen stopped working for me. I tried a semi-holistic approach using M-grain oil, which works, but only if I can catch the migraine in its early stages. It wasn't the best option. Then I went to another GP who gave me a prescription, but the side effects scared me, so I didn't take it. I waited a couple more years. So um, I'll go ahead and share my thoughts on this. Um, first off, so I have dealt with migraines many times in the past. Um, it was a big problem for me when I was really in my teenage years. Um, they kind of started in late elementary school and then in middle and high school. They were pretty frequent, um, especially in high school around the time of my like sophomore and junior years. Um, and... Uh, for me, two surgeries really helped um, deal with them. The first was my spinal fusion in 2005, which was between the summer between um, fifth and sixth grade for me. And, um, you know, spinal fusion is a very common procedure for a lot of us with SMA. That one was very helpful. It did help with my breathing a lot. But um, in the years that followed, um, I had another decline and, you know, a lot of respiratory, respiratory issues. Um, which eventually led to more migraines. And so I was really struggling with it when I was, um, like I said, a, about a junior in high school. And um, the other surgery that helped me a lot and that has really um, been transformative ever since then was in 2011 when I had throat surgery to clear the airways of my throat. And that one really helped tremendously um, in terms of dealing with my migraines. They decreased significantly after that. And um, now if I ever get one, it's very rare, fortunately, um, or even if I have a bad headache, um, both are very rare these days, um, which I'm really glad. Um, and for me, you know, an Advil migraine and a good long nap will get rid of it. But, um, Kayla obviously writes here about how she had to, to resort to, uh, medical marijuana, which is, you know, obviously something you want to, I'm not going to recommend on the podcast. You want to definitely talk with your doctors about before you ever consider that. But it was really interesting to hear or to read about her perspective and um, and how she went about dealing with this issue. Michael, have you ever had to deal with migraines or chronic migraines before? I've never really had chronic migraines, uh -huh. but uh, I have had to deal with a few of them in my life. I know there was a time where any time that I was under a lot of tension or a lot of stress, I would get these type of headaches that would just you know, double me over and shut my eyes, basically. 
And one of them happened while I was on the freeway driving when I had the ability to drive. I had somebody cut in front of me and I had to make an evasive, you know, maneuver to keep from uh, getting into a wreck. And I immediately got one of those headaches. So it wasn't a migraine headache. I went and got tested. They did a, a, a CAT scan uh, with, I guess they call it, uh, a long time ago they used to call it a nuclear test. Now I think it's called a tracer. But it's a dye that they put in your veins and they can see the blood vessels in your body and your brain. And they, they diagnosed me with what they called um, benign tension headaches. And it's just any time that I, you know, got under a lot of tension or stress, they would come on. So uh, right. I took Enderol for about three months. And ever since then, I've never really had a problem with it. Yeah. But as far as, you know, uh, chronic migraines, I've never, never really had to deal with that. Yeah. No, they are. I mean, migraines are no joke. Um, they really suck the life out of you. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, if. And migraines tend to be, I, well, I, I'm not going to say that um, off the, without doing proper research, but I, let's just say I know many others with SMA who have, have dealt with migraines. So if it is something you deal with, I would definitely talk to your doctor and see kind of what um, the next steps might be for treating them. Like I said, for me, my third surgery helped significantly because uh, a lot of the reasons I was getting those migraines was because of my respiratory issues. And when those cleared up, you know, my energy levels and everything really, um, uh, really improved. And, and especially within the last two years being on Spinraza, um, that has helped tremendously. So, um, yeah, there, it's definitely something you don't want to take lightly. If you're struggling with migraine, suffering from them, definitely get help and look into different options. But, um, but yeah, so, um, that's Kayla's column. And again, you can follow, you can read her column every Tuesday um, I think it gets published around, I want to say, 4 or 5 o'clock Eastern. Um, but yeah, that is so that is the first column I wanted to touch on. And lastly, I wanted to talk about the first installment of Halsey Blacker's column, From Where I Sit. Um, so this was published just a couple weeks ago, and this her columns going, uh, are going up on Thursdays. Um, so in this post, Halsey just kind of introduces herself and... Um, she wrote about how her disability has helped influence her worldview and the role it plays with her identity. Um, and you can also, Halsey um, is a very active member of the forum, so you can connect with her directly there. But um, here's an excerpt from this column. So she says about midway through, having a disability is certainly not the only thing that has shaped my perspective, but it is undoubtedly a major contributor. Without it, my view of the world could be far different. Perhaps it would be better, or maybe it would be worse. Maybe it wouldn't be much different at all. I'll probably never know. But the way I see it, my disability is a blessing in disguise. So um, I'll ask you your thoughts in just a minute, Michael, but um, I know I really enjoyed this column, and I could definitely relate to it. It's, something, it's definitely a topic I've touched on many times in my column in terms of what role my disability plays into my identity. Um, and I've written about this before and said that, you know, um, like Halsey says here, SMA doesn't define me, but it is um, certainly a part of my identity. It has very much informed my perspective on things. And um, that's why, you know, she and I both see it as kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, obviously, it brings a lot of hardships as well, but um, there's a lot of things that, a positive things that can stem from it. So 
Um, what are your thoughts on this column? You know, as far as having a disability, I've had a lot of people ask me, what's it like to be in a wheelchair? And I mm -hmm. said, you know what? I really don't know. I've never compared it with anything other than being in a wheelchair. I've yep. never really walked under my own power. So while I don't necessarily look at my disability as a blessing, I look at it as something that I was given for a reason. And uh, whether or not I find out what that reason is, is a whole nother story that we can get into later. But, um, you know, I, I think it's definitely shaped my life with regards to what I do for a living. You know, I know, I know for a fact I'm never going to be a professional football or basketball player. <laughs> That's pretty much out of the question. So, you know, I knew that when I went to school, I was going to have to focus on getting an education where I could make a living doing something with my mind versus with my body. So I think in a sense, it may have helped me because, you know, God knows where I'd be right now if it wasn't for my disability. You know, I may be making $100 million a year playing basketball. I have no idea. But, you know, I'm very satisfied with my life. I think I've lived nearly 54 years with a devastating disease. And uh, it's getting brighter and brighter each and every day with the number of treatments that we have now. So, you know, I think ha having a disability, you know, it, it's very hard to ask somebody what's it like, because unless you have something to compare it to, it's it's really a tough question to answer. Right. And that is a good point. And that's why I like she, how she says, you know, um, I'll never know, you know, what it would be like without, but um, but it certainly shaped my perspective on things and um, and influenced me. So, um, so yeah, I thought this was a really nice intro column and I look forward to reading more of Halsey's work and, um, and yeah, like I said, for listeners out there, you can connect with her directly on the forums. Well, Michael, did you have any closing thoughts on any of the topics we discussed today? I know we went through quite a bit today, but, um, we did, we, we, we definitely covered a, a, a range of topics. I think just in, in, in closing for, from my perspective is make sure that you listen to this, um, not only the roundtable discussions, but listen to our flash briefings that we do. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe by the time that you listen to this roundtable discussion, which will be posted sometime next week, maybe the FDA had already made their announcement regarding Zolgensma. But, uh, and if that's the case, we apologize. But um, be very watchful because we're going to be getting some excellent news here in the next couple of weeks. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to change the way we think about our, our, our disease. I think it's going to give us a lot better hope and a lot better future. Absolutely. A lot of things going on here. So, um, and yeah, just as a note, if we, um, if the news of the FDA approval does happen to go up before, um, this podcast gets posted, we'll make a note of it at the beginning, but, um, but otherwise we will keep you updated on when the approval does happen. So, um, well, I want to thank Michael, thanks for joining me today. This was a great discussion. Um, and I want to thank all of our listeners out there. Um, and just as a, again, as a note, you can connect with Michael and I directly on the SMA News Today forums. We're always there and we'd love to chat with you there. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. All of our podcast and flash briefings can be found on our website at www.smanewstoday.com 
You can also find our podcast and flash briefings on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. And be sure to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook page as well. For SMA News Today, I'm Michael Morale, Multi-Channel Content Director.